Welcome to the Wisdom Rising podcast. I'm your host, Lama Sultrama Alione, and my goal with this podcast is really to open your own wisdom, to have your own wisdom rising, either through the meditations that I lead or introduce you to, or to the people that I interview that bring wisdom with them in their own voice, in their own traditions. So we look forward to raising our wisdom together on the Wisdom Rising podcast. And I'm so happy to share this with you. It's pretty amazing that we can create a community without seeing each other. I actually really feel it. I feel your presence. And it's kind of like an etheric web that we create together. So let's begin that way. Let's begin by feeling each other, opening to feeling each other, and generating bodhicitta, the intention to do this today, to be together, listening, speaking for the benefit of all beings. Heartfelt intention. It's called raising bodhicitta. So there's actually a feeling that you're generating something. You're aspiring toward something. Inspiring toward enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. And feel us all join together with that aspiration, inspiration. Thank you. So now I'll answer a few questions from the questions that people sent in. Let's see. I would love to hear your advice on preparing for the moment of death. I also want to be prepared as a Buddhist practitioner for my own death. Will you be offering poa or any advice? This would be a blessing. This is from Melissa in Mill Valley, California. Very important subject, death. And I think you, how to prepare for death and not only sort of in terms of your mind, but also in terms of what you do to prepare for those who are going to be around you when you die. What do you want to happen? Do you want a llama to be contacted? Do you want someone to do POA for you? Do you have a directive for what should happen after you've passed away? I'll talk a little bit about the preparation. Really, our practice is our greatest preparation for death, our meditation practice. Because when we die, we drop the body. The mind-body, it's called the yid in Tibetan, literally the mind-body, leaves this body of elements and goes on a journey. And there's a moment just after the mind-body leaves the physical body when reality dawns and there's a possibility in that moment of actually experiencing things as they really are. And if you have practiced during your life meditations like the Prajnaparamita practice that is taught in the Feeding Your Demons course and also taught in the Kapala trainings, and any other nature of mind practice, so Chen, Mangu, or Zen practice, any of those practices, if you have familiarized yourself with the vast, open, luminous reality, 
which is our true condition, then you recognize it. And the image that's used is of a child jumping into the mother's lap. The child jumps into the mother's lap because they know the mother. They're familiar. They're not afraid, right? When you see your mother, or when you did, if your mother has passed away, as my head, mine has, there is a trust that you can just go there. You can just jump into her lap. But if it's someone else, you don't necessarily jump into her lap. And so if you have familiarized yourself with the true condition, which is empty, vast, open space, which is also luminous and has cognition connected to it, cognizance of itself, then you're liberated at that very moment. And so your practice during your life is preparation for that moment. And if you miss that moment, it just appears for a few seconds. But if you get it, you are liberated at that very moment. And that's why when you receive certain teachings, like Dzogchen teachings, at the end sometimes they'll say, if you're not liberated during your lifetime, you will be limit liberated at the moment of death if you have received this teaching. And then if you fail to recognize it, then the whole process of the bardo takes place. And throughout the bardo, there's other opportunities to recognize. And so really... That's only for practitioners because you have to have prepared your mind to recognize the light, the luminosity, and to go toward that. So in terms of what you can do before you die, how do you prepare for death? It's good to decide who you want to have near you when you die. This is, of course, if you are dying slowly and you have a chance to prepare. One of the things about death is we don't know when where or how. We could die in an accident and have no time to prepare. We could be shot or in, in some other way killed in a weather event or lots of possible ways. We could die very quickly from an illness or we could die for years. The bardo of death begins when we actually start dying. And when somebody has, say, Alzheimer's or a degenerative disease, they're actually in the bardo of dying for a long time. So that's one of the things about death is there's a lot of unknowns about it. And I think that's why we tend to be afraid of it. It's an unknown. But if we can familiarize ourselves with our true condition and realize we are not this body, that there is a mind body, that there is an awareness which will go on, we can think of it really as letting go of one cloak that we're wearing, being freed from that. And then if we really become liberated, we will have a choice whether to take another coat or not, or perhaps to go somewhere else, not into this dimension, this human dimension. There are many other dimensions, millions. When you see these pictures of the universe that have been coming out from the Weber telescope, you really can see how vast it is, how vast the universe is, and that what we're seeing started millions or billions of years ago, light years. So preparing for death is good if you have a chance, if, you're, if it's not a sudden death, to decide who you want to be with you 
and who you want to have informed if they can't be with you. It can be useful when someone is dying, if a llama actually calls them and talks to them. I did that. I have done that several times with people who are dying when they can't talk anymore, but they can hear. Hearing is the last sense to stop functioning. It's there a lot longer than sight. You can offer that or read to that person. There's a book called The Chu in Tibetan, and the English translation is The Basic Space of Phenomena. It's a, a long tempered text. It's quite short or not that long, not a big, thick book. And then there's a commentary that's quite long. We had an, an amazing course where this was taught uh, by Asim Gelse. But in any case, you can get a copy of The Basic Space of Phenomena published by Padma Publishing and read it to the person who's dying. And it's all about the nature of mind. They're constantly reminded of that. So if someone's dying who's a practitioner, if you have a copy of that, you can just go to wherever they are and just sit there and read it. And they can listen and, and remember, be reminded because it just says it in different ways again and again and again. If you're with somebody who's not a Buddhist, what's important is to create a peaceful environment. Anything that they're worried about, try to help them not be worried. Maybe they're worried about a relationship that isn't resolved. Try to get them to have a conversation with that person to come to peace with it in some way. Or there's something they haven't done. Try to get that done. It, whatever you can do to relieve any worries that they have, concerns, so they can be at ease as much as possible. That's important. If you're with somebody who's Christian, you could have them visualize Christ or Mother Mary, the Madonna, and become one with them. If they're Buddhist, you could encourage them to become one with the Buddha or with their Lama, their teacher, if they have that relationship. Kind of guru yoga with whoever they have faith in. That can be very powerful to really guide them in a visualization of that, whatever they believe in or have trust in. That's important. There's a process of the elements breaking down that's described in various books about death in the Buddhist tradition. There's a book called Luminous Emptiness. It's very good by Francesca Fremantle. There's also a book called The Tibetan Book of Living and Dying that gives these kinds of guidances. It is good if the dying person can be near a window where they can see the sky and to get into the position of lying on their side and gazing at the sky because that's a metaphor for the nature of mind. We had someone die in our sangha on Whidbey Island, and when she passed away, she had her eyes open, often people do, and you can just see that she was seeing the nature of mind. Just her eyes were wide open, and that's where she was going, transferring. You try to not touch the person, go around when they're dying, leave, leave them alone physically, and then after they pass away, tug slightly at the top of the head. If you know a llama who can do poa for them, ask for poa to be done. 
It can be done from a distance. And we do have POA courses at Taramandala, and it is a preparation for your consciousness leaving the body through the fontanelle at the top of the head. In the practice through sound, you open a hole there. In my head, you can actually feel that hole because I've done this quite a few times. When it's done traditionally, a piece of uh, kusha grass is actually put in there and it sticks up. It's actually inserted into your skull. And then at the time of death, the consciousness exits through that door. They say that consciousness exits through one of the doors and we have the doors of the eyes, the nose, the mouth, and the lower doors. So you want to try to avoid the lower doors and have the consciousness depart through the fontanelle. It's a little bit like the roads that leave a place. Each road goes to a different place and that those roads up here go toward the pure lands. Pure lands are other dimensions that are a higher vibrational field than this one. And the, the classic one in Buddhism is the pure land of Amitabha, the red Buddha of the West. And there's whole schools of Buddhism called pure land schools that are all focused on going there when you leave your body. I didn't used to believe in pure lands. I was like, that's kind of like heaven. I don't really believe in that. But I have had experiences now in my practice of pure lands. And also I had a near-death experience in Tibet in 1992 where I saw pure land. And they're, they're places, but they're not solid with elements like ours. But they're still places, more like places made of light. And so... Uh, in the POA practice, depending on how it's taught, you direct your mind to a pure land. Or if it's Dzogchen or the way Machik taught it, you go directly into the Dharmadhatu, the vast open reality. Not to a form, not to a Buddha, but to luminous open awareness. The place that the person who's dying is in should be kept quiet, peaceful. It's better for people not to be crying around the dead person. Of course, if you're holding their hand, this is before they're actually dying. When they're actually dying, you shouldn't be holding their hand because that brings the consciousness to that area of the body. But if you are before and you shed a few tears, don't worry about it. But if people are like sobbing and like, don't leave, don't leave, that, that's disturbing because if the person's in trans transition and then they're worrying about this other person, that um, disturbs them. And a lot of times the dying stay because of the living. And often you hear stories about how somebody didn't pass away until their daughter came or their, their wife or uh, so, uh, someone that they are very close to and they wanted to see before they go. They want to be with them. They'll wait until that person gets there and then go. And sometimes dying takes a long time. Like it seems like they should be going, but it goes for days. And that's how death is. It just has its own time. It's not necessarily quick and easy, just like birth. Although with birth, we have ways we can hurry it up. With death, it's, it's, uh, it just has its own way. So that's a little bit of guidance for death and some book recommendations for that. 
Let's see if we have time. Maybe one more question. Angela Lee in Arizona is asking about her work and she's uh, studying Buddhism and finding it very patriarchal. She says, I'm an Asian queer woman and a Buddhist. And because of this environment in her school, she's wondering if she should study something else. And what I would suggest is possibly transferring to another school. It sounds like that department that you're in is has some leadership that is patriarchal, and that does exist. So uh, there are also other places that are better in that sense, and um, perhaps but don't give up. There's wonderful women Buddhist scholars for you to study with and wonderful male Buddhist scholars who are not patriarchal for you to study with. So th there was also a question about sex and somebody who says that Jigme Langpo states that sodomy is sexual misconduct. And um, so what do I think about that? And then the Dalai Lama said he can't write scripture. All I can say about that is that a lot of these things are coming from trying to control society, trying to have society follow certain norms. And they're not necessarily relevant. They're coming out of limitations, cultural limitations, etc. When I first was studying Buddhism, and I studied with Trungpa Rinpoche, and I was quite good friends with Allen Ginsberg, who was also studying with Trumper Rinpoche, traveled with him a lot, and I was his meditation instructor. And of course, he was gay, gay man, and he was one of the first really openly gay men. He didn't try to hide it. He actually got arrested for it. And he was very open about sex. And he asked Trumper Rinpoche one day about it. And Rinpoche said something that is, I think, very wise. He said, Relationships are about communication. If the communication is good and cultivates bodhicitta, then that's a positive relationship. It doesn't have anything to do with how you express that physically or what your genders are. It's about communication. And so if you are gay and you're hearing about this, um, these traditional things. There's a lot of things in those traditional teachings that, to me, I I just feel like those are limits that come from the society at the time that that person lived. And so please don't feel unwelcome or that there's something wrong with you because of the way you have sex. There isn't. It's really about the communication the generation of love and connection with each other. However, that's expressed. We have these bodies and they like different things and that's okay. So yeah, rest at ease, at least from my point of view, as the Dalai Lama says, you can't change those ancient writings, but I think a lot of these things are being revisioned and re-looked at now. So I think that's all we have time for today. Thank you, everyone. 
Thank you, everyone, for being with us for this Wisdom Rising podcast. May it benefit all beings. And I'd like to take a moment to thank the production team of Wisdom Rising and also to let you know that if you would like further information on my work or the associated people who work with Tara Mandala, you can reach out to the Tara Mandala website, T-A-R-A-M-A-N-D-A-L-A dot O-R-G. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe.